Let me tell you about the last three weeks before we talk about tonight. <clears throat> so we have been walking through this series. It's not about me, volume two. We did this series in 2020, really saw God do something special then, and we're seeing God do something special now in the second variation. Um, I haven't talked about this yet in the series, but I'll go ahead and tell you, on our uh, Spotify and Apple podcast, if you want to listen to the first volume of this sermon series, you'll hear completely new and different material along the same lines. When I did this sermon series in 2020, this was uh, just three or four months after COVID, and uh, we started in the fall semester, and I hit on a lot of topics in that series. Uh, we did a panel. We covered in a lot of stuff. We talked about marriage. Uh, we talked about religion, and it's a, it's a really good series. I don't say that because of, of me or the view, but the content, the scripture, what we walk through is very pivotal. That's online and available to you. Uh, we've done three weeks. Counting tonight, we have three more, and uh, I love this idea of Galatians 2.20 and what God is doing through it. And so that is available to you if you want to check that out. It's on our Spotify and Apple Podcasts. But for the last three weeks, we've walked through an a array of different ideas and topics and how that connects back to our main text for the series, which is Galatians 2.20. So you'll remember we started off this series, right? The first one who remembers it's not just a what? Anybody remember? Yeah, cross. Okay, somebody's got it. Listen, we're talking about three weeks ago. I know you don't even remember what you had for lunch, <laughs> okay? I don't remember what I had for lunch. So to remember what we've talked about in these three weeks is tough. But I want us to remember because we're building every week. So we talked about it's not just a cross, right? Like everything in the Christian life hinges on Jesus' death and resurrection, right? Like we believe that Jesus died for the sins of the world and he resurrected from the grave, proving that he is the Son of God, paying the penalty we can never pay. And then the next two weeks, we looked at two crucial ideas for where you are in your season of life. We talked about it's not just a career. Ah, okay, yeah, there we go. We're doing good. And then what was the next one? Church service, right? Two big things. Like right now, you and your life are learning what it means to gather and worship and be a part of the church as a whole, the big C church, right? And you're also trying to figure out what career you're going to do, what you're going to do for a living. And so we've been kind of building on these things relative that are relative to your season of life. Well, tonight I want to give you my title. You've seen it. It's obvious. It's a holiday. It's not just a Valentine. And everybody said, amen. amen. It's not just a Valentine. So I want to talk to you tonight out of Colossians chapter 2 about dating. But a reminder, the Bible does not specifically talk about dating because dating is very new to our society, right? Very new just in the last hundred years, this concept of dating and how we do it today. The Bible does not talk about dating the way we think about it, but it does talk about pursuit, talks about romance, talks about love, talks about everything you can imagine that is included in, in the regards to singleness and dating and engagement and marriage. And so as we get to this idea of singleness and dating. Uh, I want us to walk through scripturally one big idea tonight that we can drive home that's going to impact all spheres of dating. Now, let me remind you, I, my main takeaway is not going to be how to date, although that's important. It's not for tonight. My main takeaway is not going to be even why singleness is an amazing gift. That will be a portion. My main takeaway tonight is not even marriage itself. My main takeaway tonight that I want you to walk home with that Paul's going to give us in Colossians is why Jesus is the one who makes us whole yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Can I get an amen? Amen. amen. This is not a how to date message. This is not a pep talk. This is a message on how Jesus Christ can fill you the way no marriage or no relationship can ever do it. Although those are great things, we need to focus our eyes on Jesus Christ. But in your season of life, the biggest question that you are asking 
You're asking career. You're asking where am I going to live. You're asking where am I going to, uh, what church am I going to be a part of. But you're also asking who does God want me to marry. What if I marry the wrong one? How do I do this whole thing? How important is this, the person I marry? And I just want to tell you, this is a question that should be filled. I wrote this down in my notes. This is a question, who does God want me to marry, that should be fun, exciting, and filled with prayer and godly pursuit. But how often is that not the case? How often is this question met with anxiety? How often does that question bring us fear and worry uh, and stress and also comparison to others? This question of who does God want me to marry, right? Like in in an ideal world, we should have a peace when it comes to pursuing godly future spouses. But our generation is not very good at it. And what I want to argue with you is that young people are so anxious about this and because we're doing it our way, we're not doing it God's way. We are trying to figure this whole thing out. We're trying to figure out dating and marriage our way and we don't want to do it God's way. Now, I love this quote and this will be on the screen. It says this. It says, many of us want love, love that lasts more than anything. But it seems like it's become the most difficult thing in the world to find. One reason we are so interested in dating advice is because we as a society are increasingly bad at it. And the change is dramatic. In 1960, 65% of all people ages 18 to 32 were married. Look at this. In 2013, only 26% were. And although some people try to explain this away by claiming that today's young adults don't want to get married, watch this. The same study says that of the 74% who aren't married, 7 out of 10 said they would like to be. If you look at the 1960s and compare it to today's world and culture, this is another one I'll put on the screen. The average age of marriage in 1960 was 21.5 years old. In 2019, it had gone up to 28.9, which means it takes seven extra years of dating to find a match. Our culture and our generation are largely not dating in a godly way. You know it, and I know it. We have to be honest. Now, I know that I am married, and so when I talk to you about singleness, you're like, aha, okay, get out of the way, (laughs) all right? Like, you escaped, right? Like, that's our mindset. Be honest, like, you made it out. (laughs) Well, in the church, we adopt that mindset of, man, like, if I just get married, all my problems are solved, like, I've got it all figured out. If I can just get that ring by spring, I'm good, right? Like, we have that in our mind, and that's so false. And dating, as I said, is increasingly getting worse, and it's amongst believers as well. It's not just the world, it's believers. One of the statistics that is really, really staggering, and I'll tell you this about our society today, it shows this. It says, a study found that for the first time in U.S. history, The average age a woman has her first child is younger than the average age of her first marriage. Modern dating, right? Some of us in here would argue with me like, no, I think our culture does a great job. I think think we're doing it right. Well, this is staggering because this means that on average, a woman has her first child at 26, would get married between 27 and 28. Did you know that? More than 40% of children are born to a mother who is not married in the U.S. Did you know that? This is concerning because when you look at studies of children and how they grow up, the struggles that come from a single-parent home are magnified as opposed to a home that has two parents. And that is, for me, who I coached basketball and had relationships with a lot of guys who come from a single-parent home, and I've seen the differences it makes when a father is not Present. Some of you grew up that way. You know what I'm talking about. We're trying it our way. 
and it's not working out really well. So how do we do it God's way? Well, Sean, this means we don't rush. Right? The last two weeks, one big thing that God has continued to bring up in our passages and in our sermons is that we are on his timeline. Right? Like we cannot rush our career. We cannot rush through God's presence. We don't want to rush through a church service. Like we have an interview and worship and an order to things, but we don't want to rush through tonight. Right? Like you're here. We don't want to rush through this. Well, let me tell you, a big reason why dating is going so poorly, even amongst believers, is we are in such a rush to get to the very next thing. Now, I want to give you my sermon in a sentence, and this will be on the screen if you're taking notes. I pray that you would write this down. You are not an incomplete person waiting for someone to make you whole. Christ has made you whole. You are not an incomplete person waiting for someone to make you whole. Christ has made you whole. When it comes to singleness, I love how Jonathan Pakluda puts it. This will be on the screen as well as you're taking notes. He gives a lie and a truth when it comes to singleness in this time that you're in. And again, a reminder that we've talked about in past series. If you're not married, you're single in God's eyes. It says this, the lie is that being single is a waiting period for something better. You don't have to raise your hand, but how many of us have believed this lie? How many of us have believed that singleness and dating is just a waiting period for something better? Like this is just, you're just in the waiting room. Like, hey, this is not a great season. You got to get through it. Everybody suffers and makes it through. And then once you get married, once you find the one, all the, all the answers to your problems are there. Well, he gives us the truth is that something better is waiting for you right now. And that is living, walking with Jesus. Now, before we look at Colossians, the text where we say, The singleness is a gift. You're familiar with it. We've covered it before. It's 1 Corinthians 7, verse 7. Paul, who was single, writes this to the church in Corinth. He says that I wish that all people were as I am, but each has his own gift from God. One person has this gift. Another has that. We hate this verse sometimes, do we not? This is like the verse that we dread, unless we're in a relationship, unless we're married. We hate this verse because we don't believe singleness is a gift. We want to return it to the store and get a full refund. Paul says, you have a gift. Now, if it's true that Jesus Christ makes us whole, that we lack nothing, why do we as unmarried people live like something else has to complete us? So look with me at Colossians chapter 2. Now, the reason why Paul is writing to the Colossians is because there is an attack on the uniqueness and deity of Jesus Christ. Right, like there is an attack on who Jesus truly is. And Paul is rewriting the correct theology on how unique and how incredible and how Jesus is truly the living Son of God. That is Paul's greatest push, is against heresy, it's against false teaching. They were dumbing down Jesus' nature. Right? They were dumbing down the truth about who Jesus was. And Paul says, hey, this is, this is heresy. We need to talk about who Jesus truly is. So look with me at verse 4. We're going to start in verse 4, and i got two things I want to send you home with. Paul says this. I am saying this so that no one will deceive you with arguments that sound reasonable. For I may be absent in body, but I am with you in spirit. Rejoicing to see how well ordered you are and the strength of your faith in Christ. 
So then just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, look at this, continue to live in him, being rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught and overflowing with gratitude. Verse eight, here's what we're going back to, that heresy. Be careful, be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit based on human tradition. I love that the translation here, Paul's using the word captive, right? That our culture, our empty deceit, philosophy, tradition, that which sounds good to the ear, right? That which is popular has the power to take you captive, right? Paul's saying that, hey, when you follow culture, and it disagrees with Christ, you are captive. Like, you are in chains. You have handcuffs on. And man, I'll be honest with you. That's where a lot of 18 to 25-year-olds exist. Like, we are enchained to that which is popular or that which has been the tradition, and we can't break out of it because it's all we know. It's all we see on social media. Man, young people, I'm telling you, my friends, hear me. Paul is telling you, don't live your life as a slave to that which is philosophy and empty deceit based on human tradition. You instead have Jesus Christ offered to you, which is so much better than what this world is going to give you. He goes on to say, based on the elements of the world rather than Christ. And here's our two big verses for tonight. For the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ. And you have been... Filled by him who is the head over every ruler and authority. Let's pray. Father, we love you. And Lord, we thank you for the blessings that you have given us. Thank you for this semester. Thank you that we have the opportunity to know you. Thank you, Lord, for the cross. Thank you that we have a chance to do ministry in your name for your kingdom. Thank you for the chance that we have to pick a career. Lord, thank you for the chance that we have to gather and worship as a body of believers. Lord, thank you for the opportunity that we have even, Father, to know how good you are in our singleness, through pursuing a spouse, through marriage, through family. Lord, we thank you that you have given us relationships where we can grow closer to you through the love we experience in people around us, that you are active in creation. You are active with us and you desire for us to have good and holy things, Lord. And we, we pray that even as we talk about singleness and dating and marriage and ultimately Christ and how he lacks nothing, Lord, we pray that you'd open up our hearts, Lord. Help, Lord, remove any, any bitterness in any of our hearts right now, Lord, tonight. And God, all across this room, it could be completely different, Lord. Some of us in here could be bitter, at the season of singleness. Lord, some of us could be bitter towards the season of dating. Lord, some of us could, could be bitter towards marriage and say, hey, I, I saw a, a bad marriage from my parents and I don't ever want to get married. Lord, there could be bitterness in this room right now. Lord, I pray that you would heal it in the name of Jesus. Lord, I pray that we would turn our eyes to you in every season and that we would not ask this world to give us something only you can give us. Father, bind the enemy from this place. Lord, I pray that you would have every word to say tonight. And that you would save someone if that's your will, Lord. If you would save someone tonight, we pray. And that's, if that's your prayer tonight, would you say amen? Amen. Number one, Christ lacks absolutely nothing. Christ lacks absolutely nothing. The first thing we see when we go to Scripture, Old Testament and New, is that the Messiah lacks nothing. That Jesus 
has all. It, scripture tells us that the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ. I do not enjoy messages that focus on singleness and either singleness dating or marriage is the goat, if you will, of the sermon. I believe that no matter what cultural topic we are talking about, that Jesus is the winner of the sermon at all times. Amen? Whether you're preaching Old Testament or New Testament, Jesus is the focal point, no matter what. Like, Jesus Christ reigns supreme. And I'm telling you, some of us in here, when it comes to the nature of Christ, some of us in here are theological scholars. Let's talk honestly for a minute, right? I'm talking to the people who have been in church longer than I have. I'm going to talk to you for a minute, and then I'm going to talk to the people who haven't. Some of us in here are theological scholars when it comes to who Jesus is, right? Like we have so much head knowledge inside of our brain as to what these verses mean that you could pick it apart better than I could of how all of God's nature dwells in Jesus in bodily form, that he is the son of God and the son of man at the exact same time, right? We have so much head knowledge about how Jesus fills us and that we lack nothing. I see it all the time. I have the chance to work with students who are going through 6th to 12th grade, even here at Bellevue. And I see all the time students who have all the head knowledge, right? All the head knowledge. What's the danger that comes with all the head knowledge of Christ? We lack heart knowledge, right? I heard a pastor once say, if you want to know what you truly believe, look at what you say and then look at what you do. And where those two match up, that's what you believe. If they don't match up, you don't believe it. So this idea of Christ lacks nothing, right? We can sit here and we can hold our hands up and we can worship and say, yes, Christ lacks absolutely nothing. But if this statement is not true to you when it comes to finding a spouse, I want to ask, do you really believe he lacks nothing? When it comes to your singleness and you finding content and joy right now, not just in the next season of life, is this statement true to you in that moment? Right? Like in that moment when you're struggling, when you don't know what's next, when you don't know what to do, do you really live out a faith? Do I live out a faith where I believe that Christ lacks absolutely nothing? Because there's areas of our life, I like to think of it as a pie where you divide it in eight slices, right? There's eight areas, if you will, of our lives, right? You can pick a number, but there's money, there's career, there's family, there's all these different things that we have in our life. There's school, and in these areas, sometimes like, hey, I, I trust God with my school. Like, I'm perfectly fine. My degree is God's, right? Trust God with my finances. I tithe. I'm doing everything that I need to do to trust God there. Right? Like, I trust God with my friendships. I trust the Lord there. I'm good there. But when it comes to dating, God bless you. Ooh, it's not as solid. I remember I was talking to a college student one time at University of Memphis campus. We were sitting down in the UC. And I was talking to him. I was like, man, so, you know, you, you want to get married one day? And he's like, yeah, I do. And I was like, okay, cool, man. He was like, you know, I'm just, I'm on God's timetable. And I'm like, praise God, Gavin. I'm like, that's awesome. It wasn't Gavin. But praise God. I'm like, that's awesome, man. Good. You're on God's timetable. He's like, yeah, man, I'm just going to trust the Lord with the timing. But, you know, I'm open to negotiate. And I'm like, well, let's dig into that a little bit. So I was like, what if it's a year from now? that you get married. He's like, man, that'd be incredible. I'm not even dating anybody, right? Already, he, in his mind, he does not even know the woman that he would date. And he's like, man, if I get married in a year, praise God, I've made it out, right? I'm like, what if it was five years? He takes a little bit longer on his answer. He's like, ah, oh, man, yeah, I'd be 28, 27, you know, I could get my mind around that. I was like, okay, so we're, we're starting to wheedle down here. So I was like, what if it was 10 years from now? I don't know. I wasn't a pastor yet at the time. So he's like, I don't know, Daniel. Uh, Ten years is kind of tough. He's like, what does the Bible say about negotiating with God? <laughs> right? I'm like, what if it was 20 years? I was like, what if you never get married? Do you trust God? Is he good? 
And I'm sitting across from the table from this guy, and he's realizing for the first time, you know what, I don't actually trust God with the timetable of marriage because I don't trust God with marriage at all. <laughs> because on his thing, it was like one to five years, I'm good, I'm going with God. If it's any longer that, ah, hold on, hold on. So in your life, wherever you are, I want to ask you the question, Head knowledge is great. Does that head knowledge come out through heart knowledge, through the wisdom and the actions that you make in your relationships and in your friendships? Do you see that present where in moments you have to have faith, you see a life where you are having faith? Christ lacks nothing. Isaiah 44 verse 6 says this. I'm going to give you two verses. I want you to write these references down if you don't mind. Isaiah 44 says, this is what the Lord, the King of Israel and its Redeemer, the Lord of armies says, I am the first and I am the last. There is no God but me. All God's people said, amen. I'm telling you, it's okay to make, church, make noise in church view, family. Let me give you this one. Revelation chapter 22. You've seen this written down before. You've heard this. This won't be too crazy for you. It says this, look, I'm coming soon. And my reward is with me to repay each one according to his work. I am the alpha and the omega. The first and the last, the beginning and the end. Jesus is first. Jesus is last. Now, when Jesus was living on this earth, he was in a Greek speaking world. Alpha and Omega represent Alpha is the first letter of the Greek alphabet. Omega is the last letter. It is the A to Z of our world. In fact, the first thing that you and I were taught in elementary school was what? Some of you are like, yeah. math. Thank you, Cass. Some of you are like, two plus two equals four. <laughs> the alphabet. We all know the song, right? A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, P. Right? You skip to that part? You have to know the alphabet, A to Z. Because if you don't know the alphabet, you don't know words. Hear me out for a minute. I'm serious. Because you learn this when you're five years old, if not younger. You have to know the letters of the English alphabet, or you can never know the English words. And if you can never know the English words, words are what make up our thoughts. And it's those thoughts that are words that come out as communication between each other. Which means ultimately, you cannot know the communication between one another if you don't know the letters that make up the language. Words depend on letters. Communication depends on letters that from A to Z... That is a part of our everyday communication. That's how we grow. So when Jesus makes this statement, and I'm glad this verse is still up here, when he says he is the alpha and the omega, that means he is it. He's beginning to end, Kat. That there is nothing that can be formed that does not come from Jesus Christ. There is nothing that all things were created through him and for him. This is a massive statement for Jesus to make. When you and I understand the theological implications of Jesus being the beginning and the end, it changes our perspective on who he truly is. He understood the significance of being the Alpha and the Omega. I love this quote. This will be on the screen. Here's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is declaring that he himself is the complete knowledge base for all life. He is the entirety of all information. He is the answer to all questions. He is the sufficiency of all communication. He is the sum total of all that can be totaled. No letter comes before him. No letter comes after him. 
I mean, hear me, call students. Like, this is in the Bible. This is the God we serve. Jesus calls himself. A name for Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega. Some of you know that, but have you ever pondered the implications of that statement being true? That nothing comes before him and nothing comes after him, which means your dating relationship, if it is built on anything before the Alpha or after the Omega, it is not going to last and it's not built on God. Anything. That that's how sufficient Jesus is. That's how much he can provide for you. That's how he never falls short for you. See, some of you have a bad view of Jesus, of that he doesn't really want good for you, that he's not really going to come through for you. I got to tell you, God has unlimited resources at his disposal because he's the creator of all of them anyway. That God lacks nothing. That in your job, in your family, Jesus Christ lacks nothing. I love this verse. In Isaiah 48, verse 12, Jesus says again, says, listen to me, Jacob and Israel, the one called by me, I am him. I am the first. I am also the last. And then if you even go back to our text tonight, where Paul says in verse 8 of Colossians chapter 2, he says, be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit based on human tradition or based on the elements of this world rather than Jesus Christ." This means that if somebody was to come up to you with their own version of truth apart from Jesus Christ, they are wrong. I mean, here at The View, like all semester long, we stand on the Bible, we believe in the Bible, we preach what the Bible says. If somebody comes to you and says they know a truth that disagrees with God's word or Jesus Christ, they are wrong. That is what we believe about Jesus. That he is the first and he is the last. What I love about this idea of the alphabet is that you cannot create a word in the English language without using the English letters. And when you look at Jesus Christ, all things have been made through him. Jesus is the only one who can make you whole. Listen to these verses and see if your heart is drawn to worship him at all. Or does this fall on deaf ears? This idea of Jesus being the first and the last, Ephesians chapter 1 verses 9 to 10 says this, he made known to us, Jesus, the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure that he purposed in Christ as a plan for the right time to bring everything together in Christ, both things in heaven and things on earth in him. Ephesians 1 verse 21 says this, far above every ruler and authority, power and dominion, every title given, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Now, if you trace what else Paul has said in Colossians, it's beautiful when you think about the deity of Jesus, the first and the last. Listen to this. He says in Colossians chapter 1, go back a chapter, verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Verse 17 says, he is before all things, and by him all things hold together. Verse 19 says, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. And then Colossians 2, verse 3, in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. What does Scripture do to your heart when it comes to who Jesus is? Because if I can be real honest with you guys, I'll just talk to you guys for a minute. Like, there are so many of us in here who are struggling with where we are right now. And we would never admit it because social media has created this culture where we fake it, where we display something about our lives that isn't really true. But if we're honest in this room tonight, like if we're just brutally honest, most of us are probably not in every area 
living as if Jesus is the first and the last. Because if he is Alpha and Omega, that means he has a say over every single part of your life, not just a small portion. You don't make Jesus A to G. You make Jesus A to Z. And that means public life and private life, there's nothing hidden from Jesus Christ because he is A to Z. He is Alpha to Omega. He has the beginning of your life to the end of of your life. Do you really live with a faith like that? Now take that and think about our concept tonight of dating and singleness and marriage. Like you and I so desperately want to find companionship, conversation, support in another person. Somebody that we can date, somebody we can grow close to and one day marry. And that's a great thing. That is not a bad thing at all. I pray that God would provide that for you if that's a prayer you have for your life. But understand something. That if that goal you have to get married or to date is one that is outside of Jesus' jurisdiction, meaning you're formulating that path, not letting God do it, right? You're going out of your way to try to make it happen instead of trusting Jesus. Here's what's going to happen. You are going to place on that person an expectation that they can never meet. Because you're asking your future spouse, the person you're going to date, to be Jesus to you. If you're outside, if you're, hey, I'm not waiting on Jesus. I want to be really clear. I'm not waiting on Jesus. I'm not really giving this over to God in prayer. I'm not on God's timeline. I'm just kind of following my own feelings and my own direction. If you're doing that, you're going to expect them to be a God to you. That's idolatry. Let me tell you, marriage is great, but it's a terrible God. Dating is great. It's a terrible God. You're great, although you're a sinner who needs Jesus Christ, but you're great, right? But you're a terrible God. And a person that you do marry one day, like, they're going to be awesome. God bless you. Right? They'll be cute. They'll be fun. You'll do all these things if, that, if God has that for you. But they will make a terrible God. Because they are not Alpha and Omega. They are not first and last. Your career, money, your sports team, whatever it is, it's not A to Z. Jesus is the beginning. Jesus is the end. So if you take whatever season your feet are in right now, and you say, hey, this is what you do practically. All 100% of this is God's. None of it's mine. I can't put the breath in my own lungs. I can't wake myself up. Somebody has to wake me up every day and put breath in my lungs and sustain me. I don't sustain myself. So if I can't sustain myself, I certainly can't sustain anything in this world. I'm going to give it over to God. That means you give him the timeline of dating. You give him the timeline of your marriage. You give him the who. You give him the what. You give him the how. You give it all to him. And if it doesn't go your way, you have peace because Christ has made you whole. You don't need that person to make you whole anyway. What if, what if, and we're about to get into this point too, but what if you find somebody who's really great and really awesome and like it's the one you've been waiting for them and then they don't want you? This is so honest. I mean, what if they break up with you? What if they're like, hey, like you found the one that you've been waiting for and then they get to the point, they're like, hey man, I just don't think this is it. What happens? Does your whole world crash? Does your life break? If they were your God, it will. You will break. If it was, hey, they're great, they're awesome, but my God is Jesus, (laughs) when they leave or when whoever leaves you, you keep on walking full of the Holy Ghost, full of the Holy Spirit and living for him. And there is nothing that can throw you off. You might get sad. You might go through tough times. But ultimately, your sufficiency is dependent not on a person. It's dependent on the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Do you do that? Right? Singleness, dating. If you are in a relationship, does your relationship honor God? Public and private. Is it a relationship that is honoring to God? Like, hey, if you, if you saw our relationship, 
people would think of Jesus, right? That would, that's what we mean when glorify God. Like if you saw our relationship, you would think higher of Jesus. If in your singleness, if somebody watched the way you live, public and private, and I say this for myself, would they say, oh yeah, I think higher of Jesus because of how they live. They're not perfect. But like their life resembles Jesus. Is that the case? Let me give you number two. I'm going to stay on this all night long. In Christ, you lack absolutely nothing. Jesus is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, A to Z. And in him, you also lack absolutely nothing. When you're on a boat at sea and the storm is shaking the boat, if you have Jesus, you're fine. I love this C.S. Lewis quote. He said, and this will be on the screen as well, C.S. Lewis famously said, I believe in the sun, not just because I can see it, but because by it I see everything else. Amen? Right? C.S. Lewis had come to this place in his life where he realized he doesn't just see the sun. The sun gives all direction that he needs to walk throughout the day. And it's in Jesus we find our purpose and our meaning. I remember right before I got saved, I believed in soulmates. And I'm glad I don't believe in soulmates anymore. And if you believe in soulmates, this might be a bad night to come to the view. I'm just telling you. I, at 21, believed in soulmates. Believed there was the one, right? And if you'd asked me at 21 years old before I gave my life to Jesus, I would have told you one of my main pursuits was finding the one. That's a lot of pressure, isn't it? To think, right? I mean, let's go back to this idea of soulmates. And when we did a Q&A a year ago, one of the biggest questions I got asked as a pastor was, are soulmates biblical? Is there one person for me to find, right? It's a big question. I don't know. Even as I say that question, I see heads like, oh, is he going to answer it? Like, yeah, we're going to try to through scripture. Do soulmates exist? I've, I've had people tell me, pastor, I lack the one. I just got to find the one. There's eight billion out there. I just got to find the one. <laughs> Do you know how big our planet is? And there's one soulmate. Like, if they're born across the world, tough luck, right? I mean, even planes are fantastic, but like, it's hard. A soulmate is not scriptural. It's not a scriptural idea, right? And here's why. I want to break this down for you. Scripture says that in Christ you lack nothing. That God is the one who sanctifies you completely, not a person or a soulmate. This idea of soulmates is a Greek, is a concept that comes from Greek mythology, right? In Plato's writings, who was a philosopher, which again, you go back to our text tonight from Colossians, here's where some of that empty deceit is, right? That philosophy is very fascinating. In Plato, in his writings, he wrote that men and women were made in one body and were separated by the gods. They were cut in half. The Greek myth defined humans as having two faces, four arms, four legs, and possessed incredible strength, because why would they not? And Zeus feared humans, so he sliced them in half, sending them to roam the earth, searching for their other half to complete them. That's where soulmates, that's where the concept comes from. Right? If we did a survey, I don't believe anybody in this room would say, yes, I believe that to be true. I don't think so. Because that is wild. And that is not what God has created for you and for me. To do, that sounds like torture. <laughs> That's not biblical. The Bible does not teach you have a soulmate out there. It teaches you are whole in Christ. One of my favorite verses, Paul talks about this, is 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 23, if you want to write this reference down. He says, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. Look at this. The God of peace will sanctify you completely. There's nobody else. It's God. And then he says, your whole spirit, soul, and body. 
May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul does not say there is another half of you out there right now that you've got to find or you're unfulfilled. No, he is saying, hey, as a believer in Christ, as a disciple, you are a whole spirit, whole soul, whole body. And because of God, he is sanctifying you completely. Man, the idea that there's only one soulmate out there for you puts a tremendous amount of pressure on you and people. I'll just be honest with you. If your life's goal is to pursue the one, that's tough. Because in reality, God has given us the free will to choose in the same way that he has given us the free will to choose him. He has given us free will to find a spouse that we can glorify the Lord with together. And that's an amazing concept that we don't understand is that we have a choice And Ben Stewart always says, I love Ben Stewart's books. I think he's an incredible author. He always says, and I want you to write this down, that when you are dating, you are looking for two things. You are looking for character and chemistry. Character and chemistry. We talked about this in our relationship series. It's on the podcast app a year and a half ago. I won't go into it too much tonight on this sermon. But that your pursuit is not to find the one. It's not to find a soul mate. When you marry them, they become the one because God has ordained that marriage but that you are looking for character and chemistry in the sense that their character glorifies the Lord and your chemistry, you have fun together and the way you live brings honor and glory to the Lord. I love this quote on soulmates. I think it's fantastic. It says this, be thankful that the concept of soulmates does not exist. It may seem less magical or romantic, but it's much more hopeful. One NASA scientist ran the numbers and determined that if soulmates were real, only one person out of 10,000 would find their soulmate in their lifetime. Man, soulmates, they're in Australia right now. It's a long way from Memphis. All right, you don't even know. You just got to spin a globe and point a finger and hope you got the country right. Don't land on the ocean. 73% of the world's water. Right? Like, thank goodness. Because finding a godly spouse is not like a Disney movie. Here's where it begins. It begins with you pursuing God on a daily basis. And that's true in all areas. Hear me, like dating and marriage is an amazing thing. Praise the Lord for it. I am married. But in the same way I would tell you with money, in the same way scripture would tell you with career, in the same way scripture would tell you with family, all good things from the Lord that bring honor and glory to him come from you just pursuing him regardless of those things. Like, hear me, I don't love Jesus. I don't live for Jesus to make a lot of money. I don't do that. I don't live for Jesus to have a successful career. Like, I don't live for Jesus to be liked by people. That's the opposite of it, right? I live for Jesus because I love him. You live for Jesus because you love him. And when you love Jesus, good and godly blessings come from that. But you don't do it for that. You do it because God is so good to you. And when you know him, when your heart truly knows him, there's nothing else you would place higher than him. Not when you get to know the creator of the heavens and the earth. And so the same way with dating, finding a spouse, finding a career, having a life of joy, it comes from you pursuing God and then walking side by side with other people who are pursuing God. And then... Unlike a lot of Disney movies, you look over and you see somebody who loves the Lord and really doesn't care that much about you right now, right? Like they're single and you're single, but you're chasing after the Lord together. And man, God just brings two people together. He puts them in the same fear. And when character and chemistry match, that's a lot of stories of how people end up together. It is not that they ever went looking for each other. They were looking for Jesus and found each other along the way. 
So if you're single, let me ask you a question. Is that how you're utilizing your singleness? Or are you in the car that says Jesus, but you're looking out the window for everybody else? Right? Like I'm saying, like, man, I'm walking towards Jesus, but really, like, I'm looking at all the people around me trying to see who I can find. If you're dating, as someone who did date, does that person have more of a place in your life than the Lord? If so, it's going to end badly. Only you can answer that question. Not me. Only you can answer that question. Christ lacks nothing. One of the quotes that I've said before, and I, I believe it's true and it's so pivotal, is a season of life does not provide you joy. The source of life provides you joy. And then everything else. There's no season of life that can do for you what your reason for life will. And that's Jesus Christ. In him you find everything. It's when you give up who you are and gain Christ that you find who you are and everything else included. But until you give up you and your pursuits, which you and me know fall short out in the world anyway, don't live for selfish ambition. But when you start pursuing the things of the Lord, you'll be amazed at how faithful God is. Philippians 4 verse 19, Paul says, And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. If marriage is a prayer you're praying, then keep praying. Give it to him. There's no better place to take it than prayer. Keep giving it to God every day. In the same way you would pray for a loved one to get healed. You, if it took five years, you wouldn't give up on a loved one getting healed. You'd keep on praying whether God did it or not. You knew it was what you were supposed to do. If marriage is something you believe God is calling you to have, then keep going to him in prayer and, and trust that he will supply all your needs. Jesus says it in Matthew 7, verse 7 to 11. He says, ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and the doors will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be open. Who among you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, who are evil, we as sinful people, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? If you're praying for a family member, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. If you're praying for your career, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. If you're praying for your future marriage, your future children, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. But... Every time that you come out of that prayer, no matter the answer, Jesus is still on the throne. Every time you come out of that prayer, Jesus is still on the throne. Psalm 34 verse 10 says, young lions lack food and go hungry, but those who seek the Lord will not lack any good thing. As you date in college, here's the reality. God does not want you to operate from a place where you believe you are half a person or empty or needing somebody to make you whole, to fill you. God does not desire for you to operate from that place. He desires for you to trust the identity, if you know Jesus, to trust the identity that you have in Christ. And as you are single, as you date, as you're engaged, as you're married, it doesn't matter you trust that you are a whole person in Christ. And as you do that, I'm telling you, trust me. Trust God's word. As you make Jesus a priority every day, if you do get married one day and you enter into a relationship with another person, you have something to bring to the table. <laughs> and if they've been pursuing the Lord, they have something to bring to the table. But 
if you use this season that you're in to make it all about you and all about your desires and all about your hopes. And, and again, our series is it's not about me making it all about you. When you do get to that place, you're going to get there and you're going to say, man, I don't know what to do. I didn't set myself up well to pursue Christ. And what I love about sermons that talk about relationships or dating or any of this kind of thing is that these messages, God uses a lot of these to raise people's awareness. Hey, look at me for a minute. God uses these messages a lot to raise people's awareness that some of us in the room don't know Jesus that way. Like, to be really blunt and honest, we've said it every week. We'll say it again tonight. If you're a believer, you should care about the person next to you and where they spend eternity. That's why we don't check out during invitation. That's why we pray. Because if you're a believer, you should care where the person next to you is going or the person over in this section where they're going to spend eternity or the person over here where they're going to spend eternity. But, like, if you don't know Jesus, if you die tomorrow, you don't have the most important relationship. Every week we've done a heads up, no music, you and me and everybody else. Because some of us are so bent on pursuing a relationship with a person that we don't have one with Christ. Is that you? Because Jesus loves you more than a person ever will. Jesus loves you more than your future spouse will. Jesus loves you more than your future mentor. Jesus loves you more than your coach. Jesus loves you more than your parents. Jesus died a brutal death on the cross. He was nailed to a cross for the sins of the world. It's a historical event that so many cannot deny that is still changing people's lives 2,000 years later, that because he was sinless, the perfect sacrificial lamb, you've heard that language before, he took your place on the cross. That you should have lived the life Jesus lived, but because of sin, Jesus died the death that you should have died. It's because of his sacrifice that when you have Jesus, God looks at you and sees Jesus. Because on the cross, God looked at Jesus and saw your sin. And Jesus took that punishment. He bore your penalty and mine. He shed his blood so that you would not be taken captive by empty deceit or human tradition, so that you might know the goodness of your Father in heaven. It's changing lives all over the world. It's changing lives in China. It's changing lives in Africa. It's changing lives in the U.S. Do you know that God? There's no other religion that's going to give it to you like that. There's no other religion where God came down to you. All the other ones, it's a ladder. And somebody needs to hear that. All the other religions you find out there is you climbing this ladder to finally be good enough, and you never will be, and I never was. But Jesus came down. And so I don't know who the Lord is speaking to right now, but I'll tell you, the Bible says very clearly, here's what you're supposed to do. Jesus shed his blood. He died for you. Here's what you're supposed to do because of that. You turn. You repent. That means you have got to get to a point in your life where you say our series. It's not about me. I repent of my lifestyle. I repent of my sin. I'm done living this way. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. I love the hush that's over the room right now. 
You hear that? That hush and that quiet. That's because the gospel is being shared. Like, I love, this is my favorite part of every sermon, is this part right here. Is that Jesus Christ paid your price and shed his blood for you. And some of you have heard it and thought about it here, but you have never thought about it here. And some of you in the room have so much religion, you have so many misconceptions about who Jesus really is, but I'm telling you, he loves you. The Bible says you repent. And some of you are on that path that I was at 21 years old where you're putting your faith in everything in this world that you can find. And every single time you do, it keeps on coming back to leave you empty. Those dollar signs, they don't fill you up. That job, that career doesn't fill you up. That person, they're going to fall short. They're not going to be what you need them to be. Are you tired of living that way yet? There's a better way. Even when circumstances may get awful and terrible, you might not end up with a house or a car. And if you do, if you don't have a house one day, you know what Jesus was like because the Son of Man had no place to lay his head. Paul wrote to us tonight from prison. Even if you lose everything, but you have Jesus, you have enough. You repent. You say, this sin that I'm in, and I know there's believers in here who have strongholds of sin in their life. You repent of that sin. And then so many of you know Romans 10, 9. Some of you have known it for more years than I have, but it's an incredible verse. Paul says, watch this. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, there's a confession. And then you believe in your heart, God, raise him from the dead. You will be saved. Saved. Saved from what? Saved from hell? Absolutely. You don't have to spend an eternity away from God. You get to be in his presence because Jesus has made you holy. His sacrifice has made you holy. Yes. But also, guess what else you're saved from? You're saved from a life on this earth of hopelessness. You're saved from a life on this earth with no joy. You're saved from a life on this earth with no excitement. You're saved on this earth from a life of just pure torture and misery because Jesus, through his Holy Spirit, lives in your body as a believer and you know him personally every single day. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord, and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. View family, if I could preach this gospel and just this gospel every single week, I would do it. I would stand right here and not even build on anything else. Just continue to share this gospel to you because, Aliana, it's this gospel that has been changing people's lives for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. If you're sitting there and you're saying, I can't get saved, I'm too bad. Romans 10, 13 says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone. You know what everyone means? Everyone <laughs> means you, me. So have you had that moment in your life where you repented and nothing else mattered except finding God? Not religion, not a church, not baptism, not a relationship. God, Jesus, have you had that?